0: Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Okay, well we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna hear from the Word of God now. Uh, We're gonna be uh, reading from the Gospel of Mark today. Um, The Gospels, you might be familiar with the word, you might not. A Gospel is just a story of the life of Jesus, and the Bible actually has four such Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be reading out of Mark today. Mark wasn't one of Jesus' uh, 12 disciples, but he was very close to the disciple Peter. Um, Peter wrote a letter that we still have. He refers to Mark as as my son. Uh, They were very close. So Mark's account of Jesus' life is taken from Peter, who walked with Jesus all those years that Jesus was ministering on earth. And uh, we're going to read out of Mark chapter 4, just a few verses. Starting at verse 35, it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side, that is the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Lord Jesus, I just pray um, that you would be with us today and that you would reveal to us who you are. Amen. So that day, Jesus has been spending the whole day actually uh, teaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which is just in the northern part of Israel. And he's been teaching hundreds and thousands of of, of crowds that come and flock to him. And in fact, uh, there are so many people that Jesus uh, is teaching from a boat, which is just off the shore, just from a little fishing boat. And when the evening comes, Jesus gathers his 12 disciples, his hand-picked students, we could think of them, and says, hey, come on, guys, let's go over to the other side of the lake, presumably just to get a break, just to get some rest, and off they go. And it's been a long day, so Jesus lies down um, in the back of the boat, puts his head on some kind of a cushion, where it's probably a wooden or a leather seat for um, an oarsman to sit on, and he goes to sleep, he passes out. And there's a, a picture here of a boat, or there should be. Let's get the boat up. There we go. This is cool. This is actually a a boat from Jesus' time. They dug it out of the the mud of the Sea of Galilee in the 80s. Uh, I guess there was a drought, and it revealed it. Anyhow, it's uh, made out of cedar, seats about 15 people. It had oars as well as a sail, and you can kind of see what it might have looked like. That's a model based on what they dug out. So Jesus, like I say, he's been teaching all day to, to the people, and he falls into a deep sleep. How deep? Well, a storm comes up, a great storm, and there's like uh, wind and waves splashing over the side of the boat, and Jesus doesn't wake up. So that's, you know, he's pretty tired. The Sea of Galilee is actually interesting. It's surrounded by hills. Um, And the Sea of Galilee is actually the lowest elevation of any freshwater lake on earth. It's actually 200 meters below sea level. So this kind of forms sort of a wind tunnel. It's not that big of a lake. Um, by Canadian standards anyways, but it gets ferocious storms just because of the geography. So the storm doesn't wake Jesus, but his terrified disciples do. Say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus gets up, and he treats this terrifying storm a bit like a noisy pet. He says, shut up, be quiet, shh, hush. And in the ensuing calm, he asked the disciples two rhetorical questions that we're going to come back to. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the third question that the disciples ask: who is this? That's what we're going to talk about today. Why are you so afraid? Well, we all know what it's like to be afraid. I don't know about you, but I'm terrified of spiders. So if you ever want to get me, that's how to get me, but I will get you. (laughs) I will not rest. Um, I remember one time getting up for work, I was just, you know, how you are, bleary-eyed in the bathroom, and I saw a movement in the sink. And like, just, boom, adrenaline surge, and I found myself kind of whimpering, kind of shouting, beating this horrible spider to death with a towel. And it just kind of happened. It was just like this, you know, so spiders freaked me out. Uh, We all have such stories, I think, Uh, different phobias. Uh, We all have more rational fears as well. Rational fears of things like losing our jobs, losing our means of provision. You might have a rational fear as a renter in Vancouver, losing your place and having to find another place and being like, how am I going to find another place? I could afford the previous rent, but all the rents are, you know, that's that's a different kind of a fear. Uh, We might have fears about being alone, being lonely, uh, never finding uh, a spouse, never finding true friendship going through life alone. Uh, we might fear the death of a spouse or a parent or a child. There's all these fears that we have. And the question, though, is why are we afraid? It's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. And what we learned uh, a couple weeks ago when Ben did uh, the first sermon of this series, uh, we learned that fear is the result of the broken relationship that we have with our Creator. Let me unpack that a little bit. We come into the world alienated from God. That's our position when we come into the world. That's what the Bible says. So we don't relate to our Creator as someone who was kindly, somebody who was a father. We, re- we relate to our Creator as a judge, somebody who is not for us, but against us. And the Bible says that the cause of that broken relationship that we're all born into as human beings, the cause of that is sin. You know, and when I say sin, you might say, oh yeah, that's the bad stuff other people do. Yeah, I know what sin is. Um, But that's not exactly it. Sins, the bad stuff that we do is just kind of a symptom of the actual problem. And the actual problem is something that is within our hearts, metaphorically speaking. Um, we have what you might call hearts of darkness. We have hearts that are full of defiance towards God. A heart that says, no way, man, I am the boss of my life. I am the captain of my soul. I am the one who is going to decide what is a good life or what is not a good life for me. Ultimately, it's my life, as Bon Jovi once said. So this this basic self-orientation of our hearts can lead to some pretty dark places. See Vladimir, Putin, if you have any doubts about that. It can lead into some very dark places for us and for other people. But it also might look like somebody who we would say lives a pretty good life. Somebody who works hard, somebody who tries to be a good person, somebody who is even helpful and kind, because... The point is not exactly how it expresses itself. The point is, however we choose to live our lives, we choose to live it on our own terms. By our own light, we define what is good and what is not good. So Vladimir Putin has defined goodness as a powerful Russia. That's his truth. You might define goodness as, you know, helping orphans, which I agree would be a better choice. But the fact is, if we are still living our lives according to our own lights, according to what we say is good, then we are living with hearts of darkness. And it's worse than that. The Bible poetically says, there is none who is righteous, no, not one. And that is why we are afraid. We have an uneasy sense that the universe is not a safe place for us, that we are under Judgment, under God's judgment. Now, interestingly, the Bible sees God's judgment as good. The Bible celebrates God's judgment. One of the Psalms, Psalm 11, says, The Lord is righteous, and he loves justice. And it goes on to say that he will judge evil, and he will destroy the works of evil, and he will punish evildoers. And that's good news, isn't it? That's good news when we think of somebody like a Putin, who, for all we know, might well get away with this. He might well get away with this and die at age 95 on a dacha on the Black Sea, surrounded by his favorite books or whatever. You know, he might get away with this. But the promise of the Bible, and the promise of God, is that he will not get away with this ultimately. God will judge evil. All evil. Child abusers will be judged. Exploiters of the poor will be judged. Despoilers of the environment will be judged. Nobody will get away with anything. Now, I suppose the problem for us is that nobody includes us. Every human being has a darkness in their heart, a rot in their soul. We are all fundamentally selfish creatures. We're all hypocrites who condemn in others what we make excuses for in ourselves. We all put ourselves at the center of the universe. So the biblical testimony, and I think this this bears out in life, is that everybody has a heart of darkness. It's just more advanced in some than in others. We can see the workings out in some more than we can in others. Why are you afraid? Next question Jesus asks is, do you still have no faith? Jesus says something vitally important in this question because he opposes fear and he opposes faith. Now, we know what fear is, but what's faith? Well, the Bible defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So what do we hope for, then, that we don't yet see. Now I came across a pretty cool definition of Christianity uh, on Facebook. Stay with me. <laughs> Stay with me. Uh, somebody had kind of clipped a, 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 a tweet from something called the Atheist Forum. And I actually tracked this down. I went to the tweet. This is legit. This isn't just somebody, you know, faking stuff as they do on Facebook. And this is the definition given by at Forum Atheist. Christianity. Belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light-years in diameter, where one light-year is approximately 6 trillion miles, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. LOL. I might quibble with one or two things here, but yes, that is actually a pretty good start of a definition of what Christianity is. Yes, the God of the universe, of the numberless stars, loves you and knows you and cares about you. Now, let's take this seriously for a second here. This is an objection, and it is a serious objection, but the reason that this objection lands among us is we all of us and humanity in general still tend to have this idea that god is some old guy in a bedsheet up there somewhere <laughs> you know we think that's a lot of stars that's a lot of galaxies one dude couldn't keep track of all of that he's too busy that's a lot how can-? but god's not like us we need to understand this god is not like us god is spirit he is literally everywhere in his creation at the same time, we cannot comprehend who God is. He's not an old guy in a bedsheet. He is the creator of the universe. And he is the God of the impossibly vast, which our universe is, but he's also the God of the impossibly small. Our universe, apparently, as far as we can tell, is both infinitely large and infinitely small. We can try and go out, and we never get to the end of it. We can try and go in, and we never get to the center of it. Because when you get to subatomic levels, things get very, very weird. And the point is that God is there as well. He's the God of the infinitely small of the quark, as much as he is of the quasar, as of these great astronomical formations. So that's why God can create this vast galaxy and still know you and care about you. Because each of you is a galaxy of little atoms, countless trillions of particles. So we do believe in that. We believe that the Creator knows us, the Creator loves us, and that begins to chip away at our fear a little bit. But Jesus makes this a little bit more particular. Jesus is not saying, do you have no faith in God? Jesus is saying, do you have no faith yet in me, in me, Jesus? Now, why would the disciples have faith in Jesus? Why would you have faith in Jesus? Why would anybody have faith in a Jewish construction worker who died 2,000 years ago? Who is this? That's the third question. One minute, he's sleeping in the stern of a boat, forgive me, possibly drooling on his pillow like I do. And the next moment, he is standing up and he is calming a storm with his words, with his voice. He's speaking to it like it is a Jack Russell Terrier that is yapping at him. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the God-man divine and human. The creator of the numberless stars, yet born to a young woman named Mary in a stable, kept in a little box about 2,025 years ago. He is man. He got tired. He ate fish. He used to walk everywhere. He went to the bathroom. When his friend Lazarus died, he wept. He is man. He is God. He calmed the storm. He healed the sick. He set free those who were, um, how you say, dominated, tormented by forces of evil. He raised the dead to life. Who is this? In uh, John 14, John is another gospel, one of the four gospels, this time actually written by one of Jesus' disciples. Philip, one of his, another disciple, said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Jesus, who is Jesus? He's the God-man. He's the creator come to earth. He's the sin-bearer. Jesus has dealt with our dark, with our dark hearts, yeah, with our heart of darkness when he died on the cross. We have two letters that Peter, another one of the 12 disciples, wrote to churches, and this is what he said about Jesus. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And Paul, one of the early missionaries of Christianity who took the message all across the Roman Empire, Turkey, Greece, beyond, says this. He says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. So Jesus dealt with our sins, our heart of darkness on the cross. Jesus satisfied God's justice. God's anger against sin. And folks, when we do things like shell apartment buildings, like shoot up a car full of civilians, including children, is God angry? Does God like that? Does he? No, he does not. But all of our sins, those brutal ones that we can see and anybody could point to and say, that is evil. But also the sins in our heart that nobody can see. Maybe that we do while everybody says, oh, look what good he's doing. Oh, look how she loves her children. Oh, but in the heart, there is darkness. Those sins too. Jesus took those sins upon himself. I don't know how. I don't have an equation that I can show you. This is just what the Bible says. It says that he took our sins upon himself. He bore our sins. The Bible says, in fact, that Jesus became sin somehow, whatever that means, so that we might become righteous, so that we might be free of that darkness. Jesus' blood has set us free from sin, and now we have a totally new possibility open for us that we can be dead to sin, and living in genuine relationship with our Creator. Jesus is the peacemaker. peacemaker. Jesus has totally transformed our relationship with God. Jesus' blood has brought peace to us. This is what Paul, that missionary guy, said again to another church in, in Ephesus in Turkey. He said this, he said, Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him, Through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Our relationship with God was like that storm on the sea. But Jesus has brought peace between us and between God. A whole new life is possible where we're no longer far away from him. But we are as near to him as a child to his father, to her father. So that's what Jesus has done. And what have we done in all of this? And the Bible is very clear. In short, we have done nothing. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. This is what Paul says again. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. I think we need to hear that. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. It isn't. Christians are not better people than other people. Salvation is not a reward for good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We can't boast about being saved. We can't boast about being Christians. We can boast about Jesus. We can boast about what he's done and what he's doing. And we're called to believe. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, this is what the call to you is. You are called to believe. You are called to put your trust in Jesus, the God-man, our sin-bearer, the peacemaker, the Son of God. We're called to believe that Jesus has dealt with our sin, our hearts of darkness on the cross. We're called to believe that we have, there's this possibility, there's this reality of a totally new relationship with our Creator, where we're not at war with the universe anymore, and the universe is not at war with us, but the universe is a friendly place, despite sin, despite the reality of sin. What faith does, with what Christianity does, is it does not magically transform our circumstances, but it lets us live with joy in the darkest of circumstances. And that is what the believers in the Ukraine are facing right now. That's what the believers in Russia have been facing for a long time. That's what people in this church church service right now are facing. We we can live with joy even in the darkness. Um, Could we have the worship band come back up, please? So this is what Paul says again in, in Romans. This time he wrote a a letter to the church in Rome. He said, we were died and were buried with Christ by baptism. So that's what that was. That was symbolically uh, the Christian being included in Christ, dying with him under the water, and then coming up again to new life. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Jesus is alive. Christians don't worship a dead man. We worship a living God. And we're called to have faith in Jesus, to put our trust in him, to follow him like those 12 disciples did when they got into that boat with him, and to learn from him. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we can live new lives. We can live new lives. We learn to live in a new way. A pastor once said, Fear, which drives us to Christ, is not all wrong. And that's right, when we're afraid, and we will be afraid, we need to go to Jesus. That's the only place we can go with our fears. And even more so, though, as we learn how beloved we are by our Heavenly Father, as as we learn just how loved we are, who loved us so much that He sent Jesus, His only Son, to save us, if God loves us this much, what do we have to be afraid of, really? I want to read just kind of a, a large chunk from Paul's letter to the Romans because this says so much. It's from Romans 8 if you want to look it up later. So what he says, He says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Church, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And Paul says this, he says, I am convinced, and church, let's be convinced in our hearts of this. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither fears for today, nor our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're gonna pray, then we're gonna sing a song. And I'd just like to encourage you that if God's been speaking to you, I wanna encourage you to talk to somebody. Feel free to come up here after the service or talk to a friend who brought you or talk to somebody in your life groups. This is for Christians and non-Christians. If God's been speaking to you, Talk to somebody about it. Don't just let it sit there. But I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, dear Father in heaven, ah, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you how he has made a way for us. He has made a way for us to be in a relationship with you, Father. He he took what what, what was enmity. He took what was a gulf. He took what was something that we couldn't cross. And he made a bridge. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood on the cross. We thank you that you have opened up this, this opportunity that we may have eternal life with our Father in heaven. You have restored that which was broken in our hearts, Lord Jesus. And help us to remember that every day. Help us to remember, Lord Jesus, that we can live with joy despite our circumstances, despite the darkness that is outside of us, despite the darkness that is still some, somehow inside of us, Lord. We know that you're dealing with that. Lord Jesus, help us to be faithful in this world. Help us to faithfully point out your goodness. Help us to faithfully point out the hope that is for everybody. Help us to point out the hope that is for everybody, Lord. Help us to be witnesses of that hope, Lord. And Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.